1: That's right, Jim. Two weeks ago, we ran through some tips for folks who were looking to do some car camping this summer. And today we're going to get just a little more adventurous.
0: This episode is for the folks who are ready to venture beyond the established campground, way from the roadside, pull out and into the wilderness. And today we're going to go through some backpacking essentials in an episode that's essentially geared toward beginner backpackers.
1: Now before we get into it, we should say that everyone has their own needs, considerations, and personal preferences while they're out there backpacking on the trail. So our advice isn't necessarily universal, but we do hope that you can take it to fit your own needs.
0: Yeah, and for those of you who have tons of backpacking experience, stick with us. Uh, you just might pick up a good idea or two. I know I learned one from Jamie during our Camping 101 episode a couple weeks back. We're going to do some trip planning essentials later in the episode, but Jamie, let's start with the basics. It's in the name. Uh You're probably going to need a pretty good backpack. Get a good backpack. It doesn't need
1: to be like the best backpack. I think, yeah. you know what, like what, what I did personally is I went to REI and I looked for like a basic backpack and I, you know, I would recommend going to a store like REI or next adventure where you can talk to someone about mm-hmm. what kind of backpack you need, what kind of. You know, trips you're looking to take and they can fit it to size your body and all of that stuff. Um, I really recommend just talking to someone about it and just going in and going and getting whatever it is that you need.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like a pair of shoes, perhaps in the sense mm-hmm. where like just because it's the best rated backpack or the one that fits your budget and seems really good might not fit you perfectly. And you kind of want to try a couple on, feel how they are with some weight in the bag. Like I think REI has uh like weighted objects or bags of something that you can put into the backpack and kind of feel what it's like with some weight on your back there. I Jamie didn't do the best job of this. I bought my kind of one larger backpack off the internet because it fit kind of the specifications I was looking for and I thought it was cool and it's good. It does the job, but it could probably be better and I would recommend going into the store to actually try some on first.
1: I like what you said, Jim, uh, getting that weight in there and sort of testing it out, especially if you've never been backpacking before, you haven't worn a backpack like that. I know for myself, when I first started out, like I didn't necessarily know what, you know, about like the, the belt buckle around the waist, right. And, you know, really putting that, that, that weight into the waist as opposed to on the shoulders, And it's just sort of a different feel than having like, you know, a traditional school backpack on, right? Mm -hmm. Where you've got all the weight hanging on your shoulders. When you've got that, you know, backpacking backpack on, you you don't want the weight on your shoulders and you really want it more kind of centered on your body. And that's just a different feeling. It's good to get used to that when you're picking out your backpack, as opposed to once it's all packed and you're out there and you need to figure it out on the fly.
0: Totally. So thing number one, if you're going to buy a thing, Jamie, for backpacking. I would say the thing is the backpack. Oh yeah. You're going to go go make one purchase, right? We're going to talk all about, you know, backpacking you need not have every bit of most modern gear, the fanciest, shiniest, best thing, but if you're going to spend money on one thing, I would probably recommend that one thing be the backpack itself because if you're not comfortable, you're probably not going to be having as good of a time as you otherwise could. 100% Jim. So, moving on from the backpack, kind of the obvious we've got clothing and footwear sleeping setup cooking and food where do you want to go next jamie you
1: know i want to go straight to the sleeping stuff jim because you know we just said if you're going to spend money on one thing make it the backpack and i feel like if you're going to spend money on two things make it your tent um that's something that's a little bit more advanced i didn't buy a a backpacking tent until i started backpacking a little bit more but in terms of weight it has made a world of difference Uh, that's where you're going to end up with a lot of your weight. If you're backpacking with a traditional tent, it's going to be a, you know, a couple pounds heavier in a lot of cases than some of these lighter backpacking tents. And that makes a huge difference when you're out there on the trail. So when it comes to backpacking, a lot of it is trying to get as light as possible because no one wants to carry a ton of weight on your back. And some people take this to the extreme and do some ultra light backpacking. And I don't think that's exactly where we're going to go today. You know, I, I'm not even one of these people that like weighs my backpack before I go to me that I just, it doesn't seem necessary, you know, but you just, just know that like the more stuff you take and the heavier it is, the harder it's going to be to pack it out there. So when you're looking at shedding some of that weight, I think the tent is a great way to do it. Um, as well as your sleeping pad and you know, your sleeping bag, they sell some lighter weight ones as well, but that again, gets a little bit more expensive, just finding some of these lighter weight sleeping options, it makes things a lot easier for you when you're going out there on the trail.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I guess the question a listener would have, okay, I'm going into the store. What makes a good tent? What even is a backpacking tent over a regular tent? And I, I would define that kind of my rudimentary definition of a backpacking tent would be a lighter tent, probably made of a little bit more high-tech material, that's going to pack down small and into your backpack relatively easily. So I've stated before on this podcast, I don't own a tent currently. (laughs) And and part of the reason that I don't own a tent is because I can mooch tents from my friends. But the other reason is because when I do buy a tent, I want to make it a really good one. And as you know, really good stuff costs really lots of money and you know the list of things to buy is always always present and a tent is not on the top of the list but i will say like i borrowed for a peak northwest video shoot recently my buddy powers two and a half person three season tent so in theory good for use in most of the year and i was in there by myself sprawled out had a ton of room felt really good but beside, Jamie, just being lightweight, relatively speaking, and easily packable into your backpack, what else are you looking for in a tent? So I've got a car
1: camping tent that's a little bit heavier, fits two people. And I've got a backpacking tent that's lighter weight, technically fits two people, but I mean, really, it's comfortable for one. But the thing about the backpacking tent, while it's really light um, and really compact, is that it's not great for like inclement weather. I don't take that tent out if I think it's going to be raining because it just doesn't have, it doesn't have a rain fly that's separate. The the material is a little bit lighter. And so it bleeds water a little bit more. And so these are things to take into consideration when you're looking at some of these lighter tents. Obviously some of the nicer ones are going to be a little bit better at that, but some of these um, more affordable backpacking tents, you just want to make sure that, you know, you're going to be able to be safe in the conditions you're going into. So they're better, I think, for summertime or sunnier weather. If you're going to be out there in the rain, maybe bring a small tarp. You know, I've got a backpacking tarp as well that I take sometimes if I need to. Um, Or just take, again, a traditional tent. I've done it before. It was a little bit heavy, but you can do it and it's okay. It just means more weight on your back when you're working with a heavier
0: tent. Light equals happiness in a sense. You know, if you can be (laughs) walking around with a, a light pack, you're probably going to be pretty happy when compared to your friend who's lugging around everything, including the kitchen sink and their mega heavy six person deluxe uh, camp in the backyard with your kids kind of tent. No one's going to bring that. But light equals happy. And that extends into the things that are inside your tent. So sleeping bag and sleeping pad. We we touched on this stuff in a previous episode, you know, our kind of camping 101 deal, uh, if you're camping in a place where you can drive to bring the biggest, plushest, nice sleeping pad, sleeping bag combo, make yourself comfortable in the back country. You either have to make some sacrifices or you got to pay a little bit more, unfortunately, to kind of get your sleeping bag and sleeping pad set up down to a place where it's a little bit more packable. Jamie, what are you, what are you looking for uh, in that kind of stuff?
1: A lot of it comes down to personal preference. If you go to some of these outdoor stores, you can find when it comes to sleeping pads, at least uh, a fair number of lighter weight options. Um, they've got kind of the eggshell ones that fold up that you can strap on to the bottom of your pack. Um, I've got one that, that inflates by breath that rolls up really tightly. Uh, so there's some options there. Sleeping bags are a little bit more tricky. As far as I know, there are some lightweight sleeping bags. I don't own one. I own like a kind of regular weight sleeping bag, I guess, that's just really warm. And I just say, well, that's fine. I don't need any other kind of warmth other than that sleeping bag. So that's one way to go. I'll also say that there are, um, some, uh, bivvies or hammocks, um, that have kind of protection over the top that some people use. You know, I was just talking to a neighbor of mine who's doing the timberline trail this summer, and she's just bringing, um, a hammock that she can tie up to some trees that has some bug netting over top.
0: And that's all she's going to bring.
1: So that, that takes out the tent. It takes out the sleeping bag. It takes out the sleeping pad all of it's kind of rolled up into one. So you can look Dang. into some options like that. I kind of consider that a little bit more advanced, but if you already know how to do that kind of stuff and to tie that kind of stuff up, then go for it. That's a great way to save weight in your pack right there.
0: Yeah. I'll I'll go into, I'll I'll do a side note here, Jamie, of what convinced me that I was ready to purchase a good sleeping bag. Dylan Pellaget, a friend of the pod who's appeared on here before, and I went on a one-night backpacking trip in the Wallawas in the fall one year, and I had kind of your standard more budget model sleeping bag. And Dylan and I, uh, for whatever reason, chose not to bring a tent on this here adventure. We were going light, and we get to our Spot near a lake where we were going to camp and there's some snow on the ground up there and we just put our sleeping pads down on the snow i was in my kind of budget sleeping bag and let's just say that night was pretty chilly and (laughs) i harnessed that i harnessed that feeling exactly and came back to portland And I'm like, all right, I am committing. I am buying myself a good sleeping bag. I've done enough of these cold nights in my 30-something degree rated bag. You know, when when it's snowy on the ground, below, you know, definitely below freezing, probably below 20. And I'm going to buy myself a nice sleeping bag. And I paid a decent chunk of change for my bag. But I have not had a situation since where I've had a shivering night. That, to me, is worth the money. So a lot of this comes down to if you're using it enough, it is worth the money to get a good one. But for kind of the folks doing it the first time or the second time, you know, get what you can, borrow what you can. You don't need to spend all the money on this stuff. But generally know that if you're willing to, you know, let go of a little coin to to provide some comfort, you're probably going to be pretty happy about it.
1: You know, Jim, I have to say, I... Your story reminded me that I actually was inspired to buy a sleeping bag after backpacking to, I think the exact same place that you did. Oh no, really? In the Wallawas, Yeah. Up to Ice Lake. Was yours mm-hmm. at Ice Lake
0: as well? I believe it was. Yes. Yeah.
1: Where I, I, I did also did not bring a sleeping bag. I brought a tent, but no sleeping bag.
0: No and sleeping bag at all? Zero? No, no,
1: no. what I had was like, um, like a sack, like a sleeping sack that is just basically like bed sheets into a like a sleeping bag form, but there's no like insulation. And I brought that okay. and an army blanket, um, just to kind of see how that setup would work. And it, you know, it was, um, yeah, <laughs> not great.
0: It I made it through the night, great.
1: but like my toes were freezing in the morning. And so, yeah, I, I think I went out to next adventure right after that. I bought myself a zero degree bag, which see, I carry with you, me to this day.
0: You channel the feeling, right? You channel the, oh my gosh, that was not good. Yeah, And you take it right to the bank and say, give me that nice sleeping bag. And that's that's what both of us did here. I will say, Jamie, we should pause for a second on the disclaimer. We're, we're talking about spending like kind of a lot of money on all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You can get around that by being like me, mooch from your friends. <laughs> you can get around that by renting some of this stuff. If you're only going to use it maybe once or twice over the course of the summer. Some of the gear rental shops presumably have options for that or you can i don't know what else can you do uh i feel like that pretty much covers it i guess you
1: know, but i i would say like consider this an investment as well and if you spend a decent bit of money on this stuff even if you don't plan on doing a lot of it in the in the near term like say you get a really nice sleeping bag and you don't plan on backpacking all that often but you've spent money in on one that's going to last odds are good that sleeping bag is going to last you for a number of years um, and for a really long time and you can use it in the future. So I would say if you're buying some of this stuff, just spend a little bit of extra money on getting some, some quality gear that you can use in the future. Should you want to continue backpacking or come back to it at
0: a different point in your life? Yeah. I agree with that. Borrow what you can rent if you can, but when it comes time to make the purchase, buy something that's going to last. And when I eventually buy my tent, I'm hoping it's going to be like the tent of my future that I'm going to rock with it for quite some time. I'm going to be really happy with it. But for now, I'm borrowing and that's okay. I
1: will add, Jim, uh, one tip that just came to mind, ask for it for a gift. Ah. Um, if you have a family like mine where they want very specific gift recommendations, like I, I told my parents, like, yeah, I, you know, this backpacking tent, I want this specific model. And, you know, they, you know, gave that to me for Christmas. And that's a great way to, to sort of, you know, to, to get some of this gear with, if you don't have necessarily the budget at hand, you know, your family or whoever, um, your partners, it's, they make great gifts.
0: That's true. That's true. I like that a lot. Uh, and smaller gifts, if you will, Jamie, things like a water filter, mm-hmm. a cooking setup, you know, with a camp stove and maybe some little pots and stuff like that, some cookware. I have slowly accumulated some of that stuff. Like I have a a small water filter that I really like. And for the unacquainted, the benefit of bringing a water filter with you is that your pack is going to get really heavy if you're bringing two full days of water with you wherever you're going. But if you know that you're going to encounter water along the way, or maybe you're going to be camping next to the water, whether it's a river or a lake or whatever it may be, You can just bring enough water for you to get yourself there and then filter water from that source once you arrive. So on a recent backpacking trip I took for the Peak Northwest video series, I brought in one Nalgene bottle that I had already drank from and I knew that I was going to be able to filter as soon as I got to camp. So just went down to the river. We needed food for cooking and I have a little uh, MSR is one of the brands uh, that I like a little MSR water filter cost, I think under $50 and it makes my life a heck of a lot easier as opposed to having to boil all of your water or pack it all in with you, which is probably the worst scenario.
1: I think of all the gear we're going to talk about, I think a water filter is among the most vital that you can bring with you for that reason. Exactly. You know, there's some cases where, you know, if you're camping out in the desert, maybe you don't have uh, access to running water, but a lot of times you'll have a stream at least that you can get water from and having a water filter, just makes sure that you're going to be able to get clean drinking water out of that. It's really, really useful. Yeah. And And Jim, you mentioned something that I want to bring to step into as well, which is cooking. Yes. This is a huge deal. I think it's once we get out of the sleeping and the tent stuff, cooking and your food situation and your stove situation is the next important thing. We talked a little bit about it in our camp cooking episode. Um, so let's just, I think touch on some of what we already went through there. Um, Jim, what's, what's your, your cooking situation like when you go backpacking?
0: So as we have discussed on the podcast, my food choices in the backcountry are not the most ambitious, not usually <laughs> cooking up something that's like, you know, something to write home about necessarily, but I have some basics and most of them involve kind of boiling water and adding a thing to it. So surprise, surprise, that means like ramen, that means soup mixes, oatmeal, stuff like that. And, you know, I'll do the like freeze-dried mountain house type meals uh, as well, uh, essentially backpacker meals. But I use, uh, again, I think the brand is MSR. It's a small little stove really probably weighs i don't know what those little pocket rocket stoves weigh but next to nothing all things considered they they're packed down very small you have a fuel canister you attach to it and then something to cook in so for me i have a little cup uh it's big enough for kind of one pasta side or one uh ramen or something like that good for cooking for one uh, for cooking for two, I've used uh, a jet boil stove, which kind of has a built in cup that is pretty easy to use and all fits kind of in one piece very nicely in your pack when it's packed down. Um, other folks will use different contraptions, but I would say by and large, when I'm in, out in the back country, folks either have a variation of kind of the, the small pocket rocket-esque stove. I don't even know that that's the proper name of it, but that's what I've always referred to it as. Or the jet Jetboil, uh, which is a bigger kind of all-encompassing, packs down into one package, uh, stove-like deal.
1: Yeah, there's um, a lot of sort of little tiny stove setups as well, little uh, burners that'll screw right into your fuel source. That Those are, are pretty popular as well. I've got one, I think, made by Snowpeak that is great. Um, Jim, I'll also say that, you know, I I got a a chastise a little bit for it back on the camp cooking episode, but I have definitely made it through on backpacking trips without bringing any kind of stove or cooking uh, equipment of any kind. Um, Yeah, I I
0: don't have any beef with that. I think Samantha (laughs) uh, Bacall, who graciously gave us the rundown on some A plus camp cooking. And if you haven't listened to that episode, Jamie, I think it's one of the most fun ones we've done uh, in part because. I think she gives us a little bit of, uh, of crap for our less than ambitious <laughs> cooking, but I don't have any problem with that. In fact, it saves weight and space in your pack. Uh, what do you bring though? If you're not going to make yourself a hot meal,
1: what I've done before is brought some of these, um, like it's like Indian food pouches. I don't know if you've seen these in the grocery store. Okay. Um, it's like a chana masala or vegetable korma that comes in sort of a, a little pouch, a sealed pouch. And I like these because they're, pretty lightweight and they can compact down well into your pack. It's not a can or anything like that. And you can just kind of, you know, tear off the the top and eat it from the pouch and, um, you know, throw it in your trash bag and you're done. That's what I've done a lot. It was a trail mix, of course, works really well and energy bars, other things like that, that, you know, give you a, a lot of uh, nutrition, um, or a quick bit of protein to get you on the trail. I like stuff that can, that can, that can be compacted down tightly into, you know, like a, a scent proof bag or whatever you're carrying your food in um, that, that, that works the best for me. And when it comes to some of this cooking equipment, like I know for me, I don't carry it a lot because I, Jim, have actually only ever gone solo backpacking. So oh, for me, weight is a big issue when you're by yourself, you can share that between two people then yeah, bring some good stuff, you know, bring some cooking equipment and some good food. That's easier. If you're going by yourself, you really have to consider what am I leaving behind? Not just because of the weight, but also because of the space. My backpack Mm -hmm. is pretty jam packed at the end of the day. And I don't have a lot of room to throw a cooking stove in there, let alone fuel source or anything like that.
0: So that's something if you're new to backpacking, it's not an essential, if you will. I would say the water filter for me is, but the actual cooking stuff, not so much. Water filter is also a safety mechanism. If you're out there longer than you think you will, water is paramount, and hopefully you can track some down. All that said, Jamie, we've talked about gear now for quite some time. We're going to talk a little bit about how to plan for a backpacking trip right after a short break. All right, folks. So you have the gear, but you still have to plan the trip. Jamie, when you're going to plan a a night or two out in the woods or the mountains or wherever you want to go, what is it that you're looking for?
1: I think the first thing is what kind of environment do I want to experience? You know, do I want to go up the side of a mountain? Do I want to go around a mountain through some meadows? Do I want to go up the coast? You know, do I want to go hang out in the desert or some old growth forest? I think the first step is just deciding what it is you want to see. And that's kind of the exciting part, Jim, I think, is figuring out like what kind of landscape you want to experience and sleep in. Sometimes I really want that kind of like, you know, dark rainforest. And sometimes I really want that like stark, quiet desert. It really depends based on that. Um, and from there, you can just look at, I think, you know, what are the backpacking routes that are available in some of these places? Wilderness areas are great areas to go to because they're the spots that usually have backpacking routes through them. Um, whether that's the Eagle Cap Wilderness in the Wallawas, like we've talked about going up to Ice Lake mm-hmm. or the Three Sisters Wilderness in the Central Cascades, Mount Jefferson Wilderness. These are all places where you're going to find some of the most popular backpacking areas and some of the less popular ones as well. So I would go straight to some of these wilderness places um, once you figured out what kind of landscape you're looking for.
0: And I would say, too, a lot of the preparation that you can do at home ahead of time is going to make these trips a lot more enjoyable, a lot more relatively stress free. Um, Things that I'm considering when I'm mapping out a trip is not just questing out into the wilderness, uh, going out along a very long trail and saying, eh, you know, I'll find a place somewhere to camp. I definitely will do that. But more often than not, I'm OK. What is my goal for the day? I know there are kind of established backcountry campsites, dispersed campsites, eight miles in on the trail, 10 miles in on the trail, two miles in on the trail, whatever it might be. But I have a destination where I'm I'm trying to reach. And most likely, I want to know along the way whether I'm going to run into water, be able to camp alongside the water, be able to melt snow to make it into water. Water kind of rules a lot of your camping situation, at least for me, because I don't want to carry in all that water, make my pack really heavy, and be kind of additionally tired because of that. I want to carry an appropriate amount of water, and know where I'm going to be able to get it next. Beyond that, too, it's knowing that I'm going to have a reasonably okay spot to pitch my tent or lay out in the snow like we've done in the past or whatever it might be. But having a destination in mind really helps. And I would urge folks to seek designated camp spots instead of just going out there and hoping for the best.
1: And as you walk along the trail, you'll be able to tell like what is and is not a designated backcountry site. You'll see a fire ring, usually made out of stone, um, a nice clearing, usually some evidence that people have been there, whether it's, you know, cleared out areas underneath of trees, um, next to water, like Jim said. I, I really like what you said, Jim, about doing the work ahead of time. I think it's really important before you go to know the trail. And like you said, to know where there's going to be campsites, to know where there's going to be water. Um, sometimes, um, like the Rogue River Trail, you're going to be able to know if there's restrooms along the way. Mm-hmm. That's less likely, um, but sometimes you can know that stuff. And if you if you go in knowing what to expect, um, and I would say print out a map if you can yeah, and bring that with you so you can refer to that as you go along, that's extremely helpful as well.
0: And to double down on the preparation with a real world example. So uh, Jamie, our colleague and friend, Shane Dixon-Cavanaugh, is hiking starting today, actually, the Timberline Trail around Mount oh, Hood. Good for Shane. Yeah, it's a super fun trail, a very approachable, though difficult loop uh, for folks looking to get into that sort of thing, about 40 miles. Uh, so it's a, it's a significant undertaking, and Shane had never done it before. And his partner, who he's going on the trip with, I also don't think has done it before. He knows that I have, uh, we sit next to each other when we are in the office. Of course, that's not the case at the moment. And he called me up, Hey man, uh, just tell me about your trip. What'd you encounter? How were the river crossings? Where did you camp? How'd you break up your days? Kind of talking through the basics. And this is, you know, days before his trip. Uh, he's, you know, I've, I've settled in and have started looking over some maps, uh, Getting familiar with the terrain, like you said. And I kind of referenced to him, you know, it'd be really helpful when I did the trail. I had trekking poles, and that helped me uh with some of the terrain. Uh he's like, hey, you know, later, can I borrow your trekking poles? Yeah, of course. Swing on by. Uh, you know, no need to go buy them yourself to take one trip. Borrow from a friend. I guess all of this is to say. He did all the requisite preparation, followed up with me a couple of times, read recent trip reports online to get as best of a conditions report as he could, and went in really prepared. And I think that's super important.
1: Yeah, Jim, the Timberline Trail is obviously one of the best and most beautiful backpacking trails in the Northwest. It is among some of the more difficult ones as well. So I think one of these important tips to take into consideration is to start easy and work your way up. If you're just getting into backpacking, maybe starting with the Timberline Trail is not the best idea. Maybe you wanna start with a little bit of an easier or shorter or flatter route as well. Um, this is kind of like we said before with um, hiking and even with camp cooking, You know, walk before you run. You don't have to start at the most spectacular or the most difficult. Um, it's better to kind of work your way up and build that strength. For folks who are used to hiking, it can be a little bit difficult to translate. You know, if you're used to saying, well, I can hike 10 miles with 2000 feet of elevation gain. I can do that. That's easy. Uh, it's different when you have a backpack on. You have to remember that you have a lot of extra weight on your body. And that means that it's going to be a different experience on your knees, on your ankles, on your feet. Your body is just going to not be able to hike the same way. So take that into consideration when you're looking at where you want to go. And what kind of limitations you already know you have with your hiking and with
0: your body? Yeah. So if you're thinking, all right, Timberline Trail is the goal, that's what I really I want to be able to do that by the end of the summer. Maybe let's pick off a more intermediate trail to start or something super easy. So for an upcoming episode of the Peak Northwest video series, I referenced this earlier, colleague and producer for this show occasionally, uh Brooke Herbert and I went out. On a just one night backpacking trip on the Salmon River Trail, which runs alongside, as you'd probably guess, the Salmon River, we knew we would have tons of water. We knew pretty much where we were going to camp. There are a number of sites right along the river, pretty easy river access and easy to access from the trail itself. And it was a super low stress encounter. All things considered, we hiked probably about eight miles. We did probably about half of that with our full backpacking bags, you know, dropping off our backpacking stuff, setting up camps, spending the night, and then the next morning, waking up and doing the rest of the hike to a, up to a viewpoint without our backpacking gear, which was really nice. But that's the kind of thing you can go. It doesn't have to be the craziest, uh, biggest, most grandest deal. We had a great time camped out in the backcountry alongside this river. It was just what the doctor ordered and low stress, which is great.
1: There are so many of those nice and easy forested backpacking trails around the Portland area, whether it's in the gorge or the Mountain National Forest, you can find these easy little getaways pretty much everywhere in this, in the area. One of my favorite easier backpacking trips that's a little bit more challenging, a little bit more adventurous is the Rogue River Trail down in Southwest mm-hmm. Oregon. We've talked about it on some previous episodes before. It is a, a gorgeous, gorgeous trail. It's um, 40 miles end to end. So it's one of these ones where you you know, leave your car with um, usually a rafting company that will drop it off at the other end at a specified date and time. And along the trail, it's pretty flat th- throughout the whole thing. And there's a lot of places to camp. And there's some vault toilets along the way as well. There's some lodges along the way as well. The way I did it on my very first backpacking trip that I took, you know, I camped out two nights. I stayed in a lodge one night and I camped the fourth night. And having that lodge as a middle ground was, it was luxurious. I'll say that. Lap
0: of luxury.
1: It was it was fantastic. <laughs> it
0: was a great way what, to do it. What, like, what food item did you get at the lodge that just like tasted 92% better than any other thing you've ever eaten in your life? It was the, it was the can of beer that I bought there. Uh, <laughs> like, there we go. Right after like I took a shower. Whoa, they co- have
1: showers? Yeah, you get like a room at oh, the lodge.
0: Man. Wow.
1: Um, I mean, it's legit. Uh, so I mean, it's, it's great for folks who are just getting into backpacking and need a little bit of a stop along the way to rest up, you can do that. And it's a great way to do it. There are a couple of things in the trail that are a little bit more treacherous. It gets really hot in the summertime in the exposed cliffs. There are also um, a bunch of ticks you have to worry about. Other than that, I think it's a, a great trail for beginning backpackers down there in Southwest Oregon.
0: Love that. And Jamie, you put a note in our planning document here, all caps, You pack your fears. (laughs) What does that mean? This is like a a classic backpacking
1: adage. You know, it's that if you're afraid of being cold in the night, you're going to pack extra clothes that maybe you don't need. If you're afraid of going hungry, you're going to pack extra food that maybe you don't need. Whatever you're afraid of is what you're going to pack more of just in case. They say you pack your fears for that reason. So just take that into consideration. And when you're looking at your clothes, especially, I think is an easy place to do this. Think like, am I going to need to wear all these clothes? Am I going to wear them all? You know, do I need to bring six pairs of socks? Probably not. Um, do I need to bring this like extra jacket? Probably not. You know, really just take into consideration and try to think as, you know, rationally and reasonably as you can, instead of allowing that fear to dictate what you pack. Then you're going to end up with a much heavier pack. And if you don't even end up using some of that stuff, it's a it's a real bummer.
0: Yeah. Do a pack audit before you leave home or after you're done with your trip. What am I actually going to use? What did I actually use? How can I maybe pare this down a little bit for next time out on the trail? You know, we didn't cover in the first half of the show you know, your miscellaneous camp supplies, whatever that might be. So your bathroom kit, your compass, uh, your navigation. So we did talk a little bit about maps and stuff like that, you know, packing the things you need, but not all of the extraneous other stuff that is going to weigh you down and make you unhappy. My two cents.
1: Yeah. There's some little things that I always keep my backpack headlamp, um, multi-tool, uh, you know, fire starters, That kind of stuff. First aid. Always got to bring first aid when you're backpacking. Sunscreen, bug spray. Always good to have in there, especially if you're backpacking to a lake and it's a summertime. uh, Bring your bug spray. I have made that mistake before, and it is not fun to not have it when you need it.
0: I feel you on that. Uh, And we've all fallen prey to the terrible mosquito situation somewhere in the woods at some point in our lives. I wear I try to wear long sleeves and long pants. Because in part because of that, in part because mm-hmm. I also am trying to keep the sun off. And in part because my terrible stained yellow sunshirt is just so fashionable that I can't see myself <laughs> hiking in anything else. Um, I've got like, Jamie, I swear I have the same clothes that I, I've got my situation mm-hmm. down. Just like if you were to only see me in the outdoors, you would swear that my closet has maybe five different options ranging from snow pants up to shorts and from like big winter shells down to t-shirts and that's about it maybe more than five options but definitely not very much i swear i do have some shirts with like collars on them uh in fact i'm looking at a couple of them in my closet right now but yeah it's the same look every time man
1: and i think that's fine right like i've got like my same hiking pants and i've got like the blue shirt and the red shirt and like the gray (laughs) shirt And odds are, I'm going to have like those three with me, you know, and that's fine. It's fine. It's once you, you, you start getting your backpacking set up straight, it's a lot easier just to keep going with the same stuff. And it, it's a learning process. That's something that I'd like to mention here too, is that it, this all is a learning process. Like you said, Jim, going up to ice lake, you got your sleeping bag. I did the same. I've that, that setup I had up there of like the sleeping sack and the army blanket. I've never done that again. So it was a lesson I learned the hard way, you know, and now I've always got my sleeping bag. So, you know, just, just know this is going to be a a process if you're just getting started and eventually you're going to get your setup honed and it's going to be a lot easier as you go along.
0: Totally. And I'd encourage folks, please, please, please do what you can to save money on the front end of this. Borrow, you know, gift your friend with some baked goods in order to take their tent out for the weekend, whatever it may be. You don't need to go spend a grand and do it all right now. That is totally unnecessary. Get it piece by piece. Get what you're actually going to want to keep for a long time. I've made the mistake of kind of buying the cheap piece of gear only to go back and buy the better, nicer one later. And that's not necessarily the way to go in my book. All that said, Jamie, we've talked gear a lot. We actually have a question from a listener that ties in pretty well to Some of our discussion here about picking a backpacking spot out in the wilderness, we're going to play that for you here, folks.
1: For sunny hot days, do you have recommendations for places to get outside or hiking trails that are shaded to stay out of the sun? Jim, I think this is a great question, especially as we're getting into the hot days of summer. You'll want to find somewhere a little bit cooler. And that, for a lot of people, means getting out of the sun and getting into some shady areas. So like we said earlier, when you're looking for some backpacking spots in these wilderness areas of the national forests, a lot of them are going to be in some of these deeper forests where you can find shade for most, if not all of the hike. Um, some of these these rainforests that are closer to Portland, like in the Mountain Hood National Forest, um, the Salmon River Trail, like you took, Jim. I mm-hmm. imagine that was a pretty forested trail, wasn't it?
0: Yep. Yeah, definitely found some shade in there.
1: Yeah, I tell people look for the trees, go to the forests and go deep into some of these rainforests out here. That's where you can find the most shade the easiest.
0: Yeah, and we're going to talk too on next week's episode about Oregon's lakes. So, places to cool off, maybe not as shady, but definitely some places to beat the heat. And, folks, if you have questions about backpacking, getting outside amid the coronavirus crisis, how to stay cool during the heat of the summer, anything else feel free to hit us up on instagram leave a voicemail on our podcast hotline we've read it before we'll read it again 503-221-4345 or send us a voice memo to podcasts with an s at oregonian.com and for now you can subscribe to peak northwest wherever you get your podcasts watch our videos on the oregonians youtube channel and of course follow us at peak northwest on instagram this episode of the podcast was produced by me, Jim Ryan, alongside Jamie Hale and Elliot News.
1: Stay safe and happy travels, everyone. Until next time, we leave you with this 10 Seconds of Zen.